your Bibles to Psalm chapter 8. Psalm chapter 8. No need to stand just yet. I want to say a few things before we get started. You know, I, the older I get, the more I realize how fast time travels, how fast it goes, you know, and uh, this might be my last day on this earth. This might be my last year on this earth, but even if God gives me more time and I get more years of life, it just seems to go by fast, so much faster. You young people really don't understand that, but you will. It just seems to go so fast. So when I think about that in my life flying by, fleeting away, I want to think about something else. What, what significance has my life been? What have I done for the kingdom of God? What have I made a difference in his kingdom about? There's a little plaque. Many of you have seen it before. I found a picture of one on the screen. It says, only one life will soon pass. Only what's done for Christ will last. If there's any truth to that plaque and any truth to what God's word says, then for me to find significance, I have to be tied to Jesus Christ somehow in some way. If that plaque is true and I want to make a difference and I want to have significance in my life, I'm not going to find that at my job. I'm not going to find that in my recreation, I'm not going to find that anywhere else but what happens with me in the kingdom of God. Then and only then will my life and your life have meaning and purpose. Apart from Jesus Christ, our life is meaningless when you really think about it. The world and science wants to tell you there is no purpose for you. There is no reason that you're here. You're by chance. You're an accident. You were just a blob somewhere that became a human being one day, and when you die, you'll go in the ground, and you'll be no more, and that's all there is. But we don't believe that, do we? We believe there's more than that to life. We believe that God's Word is true. We believe that there is a way to find significance in life. Psalm 8, where we're going to be this morning, gives us some significance, but first it has to put us in a proper perspective of ourselves and a proper perspective of God. God created us in His image. God crowned us with glory and majesty. And then God assigned us to rule this world. So, if that's the case, that should lead every one of us to worship Him. If He created us in His image... He assigned each of us glory and majesty, and He put this world here for us to rule. We should worship Him for that reason. Let's dig in this morning and figure out why we don't, and let's dig in and understand how we can worship God because of the things He's done for us. So let's stand together and read Psalm chapter 8. Only got nine verses. We'll read the whole thing. David starts out by saying this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth, who has displayed thy splendor above the heavens. 
For the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. When I consider thy heavens and the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou dost take thought of him, and the son of man that thou dost care for him? Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. Thou dost make him to rule over the works of thy hands. Thou hast put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all the earth. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for making us. Thank you for giving us life. I know today, Father, there is someone here, even in our midst right now, searching for reason, searching for purpose, searching for an answer to why they are still here, searching for an answer of where they came from, what's the meaning of life. I pray today that you speak to all of our hearts, but especially to those who need you so much right now, Father. I pray you bless them with your presence and your spirit. Encourage us all, Lord, and help us see the truth today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Worship the Lord because his name is majestic. That's what David begins to say at the beginning. How would you describe the majesty of God? I picture it like this. Uh, all of us are together, and, and we go to the Grand Canyon, and we're in a room, and there's a doorway that leads out to the Grand Canyon, and I'm your tour guide, and I stand in the doorway with it open, and I raise my hands like this, and I say, okay, I want to describe to you the Grand Canyon. Have any of you been to the Grand Canyon? Most of you have been there. You can't put that sight into words, can you? The best way to describe the Grand Canyon as your tour guide would be for me to get out of the way and let you see it for yourself. So when I say, and David says, how majestic is the name of God, you can't put that into words. It's something that a person must experience for themselves. It's a place where... Only few people can experience the majesty of God. That can be you as a child of God. That can be you if you become a child of God. David tries it, talking about the heavens and the stars and comparing them to man. And what would God, who created the universe, why would he care about you? Why would God care about you? Why would God care about me? That's what David's statement is. Why am I here, God? What's my purpose? Look at what you have made. And here I am, a little speck on a ball in the middle of this universe. Why would you care about me? You might be asking God that same thing. Why are you here? Why has your life turned out? Why have things happened in your life the way they have? I want you to notice 
those two words at the beginning of verse 1. Oh, Lord. Oh means David's coming from his innermost being. He's, he's calling that out from his spirit. Oh, Lord. The first Lord is the word Yahweh. It means the covenant-keeping God. The second Lord, O Lord, our Lord, the second Lord is the word Adonai. Yahweh, covenant-keeping God, Adonai, the sovereign Lord. He does as He wishes. Amen? So here's how you could translate this verse. O our covenant-keeping God, our sovereign that's what David is saying there, okay? Just so you could get a grasp of the meaning besides the word Lord behind that. Although God is sovereign, although He has created all things, He still condescends. That's a big church word. Condescends, comes down. Even though God has made all of this, He still comes down desiring a relationship with you. Each one of you, individually, not as a church. This is a body, but God wants to go farther than that. He wants you. He wants your heart. He wants you to wipe everything else out but Him. You and Him, one-on-one, -on -one, that's what God wants. Even though He made all of this, He wants you. Amen? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of the earth. The majestic part of that sentence means royalty. Now you and I as Americans, we don't really grasp that term. If this was preached over in Britain, they would get it. But you and I really don't get the term royalty because we don't have anybody royal around here. In fact, you can get on the internet or the newspaper or a magazine, and you can see anybody at any time trashing our president. Hey, I don't agree with him on a lot of things, but I don't trash him. He's my president. We've lost that respect in our country, haven't we? It's unfortunate. It's happened in my lifetime. I remember when I was a kid, the president was royalty. And you spoke highly of him, even if you disagreed with him. He was your president. Today, it's not that way. We don't understand that term. Let's get past that term, uh, majestic. We know what that means. It means the attributes of God. It means the deeds that God has done. It means who he is and what he has accomplished. That is what David says about God. Your name is majestic in all of the earth. There's not a chosen few that get to know the majesty of God. It's done throughout the earth. That's also found in the New Testament. Paul mentions that in Romans chapter 1. Let's read that. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes, His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. You say you don't know God, you don't believe in God. At the end of your life, when you stand before Him, the God you don't believe in, you will give an account of your life because He has made Himself known to you. 
by what he has made. The heavens, the stars, all of this earth, everything in it is made by God, not by chance. O Lord, your name is majestic in all of the earth. You know, when we talk about David looking into the stars, David didn't realize some of the things I'm going to read to you now, but he had a little bit of a grasp of it. I want you to get a bigger grasp than even David had. It says here, to go from the sun, I'm sorry, if you could travel at the speed of light, 186,000 miles per second, it would take you eight minutes to get to the sun. Sun's over 11 million miles away. If you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you eight minutes to get to the sun. 186,000 miles a second. Okay? Let's go on. To go from the sun to the center of the Milky Way, we live in the Milky Way galaxy. We're not even in the center of it. But to go from our sun to the center of the Milky Way galaxy, it would take you 33,000 years traveling at the speed of light. The Milky Way belongs to a group of some 20 galaxies known as the local group. To cross that group, you'd have to travel at the speed of light 2 million years. The local group belongs to the Virgo cluster, which is an even larger which is part of an even larger local supercluster, which is a half billion light years across. To cross the entire universe as we know it today, it would take you 20 billion light years. All of that came from the National Geographic World magazine, January 1992, page 15, if you're looking it up. Man, God made all of that and is still making it, but he wants to know you. What is man that you would think of him? Must be something special about us, right? Or God wouldn't want to condescend and come down from that majestic creation to know you personally, individually, as he says in our text. We're not by chance. You were created in the image of God. Sir Isaac Newton had a little model of the solar system that we live in. Y'all have seen him before. Has a base and a pole and has some planets hanging out on a pole with strings and wires and wheels and cogs and belts. And you can turn a handle and it all kind of rotates around this sun. Well, one of his unbelieving friends came in and said, hey... Isaac, where did you get that? And he said, I don't know. He said, well, who gave it to you? I don't know. It didn't come from anywhere. It just appeared. He said, that can't be. Somebody had to make that. Who made that for you? He said, nobody made it. I just got up this morning and here it was on my table. Nobody made it. It just happened. I think his unbelieving friend finally got the picture. We are not by chance. God didn't have... Uh, chance to create this universe he made it for himself how majestic is the name of the Lord let's go on verse 2 from the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast established strength because of thine adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease you know since the time of creation and beyond men have been opposed to God 
And when Jesus showed on this earth, he was opposed by men. And how did he fight them? Did he fight them physically? No. Did he fight them with wisdom? No. You know how he fought them? With the mouths of children. That's what it says here in our text. When we look at that, we understand that God has raised praise and strength from the mouth of children. Right? Now, what is, this is kind of a prophecy of something that happened in the book of Matthew. Here it is on the screen. The the Pharisees were fighting with Jesus and arguing with him, and uh, he healed a person on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are uh, against Jesus, and these children start praising the Lord. And the Pharisees said, hey, they're calling you the son of David. That's a term for our Messiah. You should make them be quiet. They're calling you the Messiah. Okay, here's what it says on the screen about this event. And said to him, do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes thou hast prepared praise for thyself? Jesus quoted this text to bring it to life. That God doesn't need men. God doesn't need their power to oppose men, to put men down in their place. God can raise praise up out of even the children of this world. And such he does as he called himself God in front of these Pharisees because these children were praising him. Man, what a beautiful picture David gives us and Jesus culminates that in the text. Jesus raises and displays his majesty even through the mouths of children. Jesus overcomes them by simple faith. Didn't he say something along the lines that you and I, in order to get into heaven, must have childlike faith? Okay, so I believe that God made this world. I believe that he ordained it and that he's put it into motion and that he is in charge of it and sitting on his throne watching it and working in it and moving in it. And David realizes the same thing. In verse 3 and following, we see that we should worship the Lord because he has crowned us with majesty and glory. Not himself, you and I. Now we're going to get some meat, people. I hope you came hungry today. We're going to get into some meat. Let's look. When I consider, verse 3, thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars which thou hast ordained, what is man? that thou dost take thought of him, and the Son of Man, that thou dost care for him. Yet thou hast made him a little lower than God, and dost crown him with glory and majesty. The question, what is man that God would think of him, that's still a question in effect even today. Many years ago, Back in the time of Theodore Roosevelt, he had a friend who was named William Beebe, and William Beebe was a great adventurer, explorer. And when those two would get together at night, they would go out and look up at the stars. And let me read you what they said. Beebe was a good friend of President Roosevelt. Often when, the, when he visited the president, the two men would go outdoors at night to see who could first locate the Andromeda galaxy. Then as they gazed at the tiny smudge of distant starlight, one of them would recite, 
That is the spiral galaxy of Andromeda. It is as large as our Milky Way. It is one of a hundred million galaxies. It is 750,000 light years away. It consists of 100 billion suns, each larger than our sun. Then Roosevelt would grin and he would say, Now I think we're small enough. Let's go to bed. Keep yourself in a proper place. David humbled himself. What is man that you would think of me, God? You need to do the same. What is man? What am I? Who am I that God would think of me? What purpose do I have? Where did I come from? You have a purpose. You have a reason for being here. We'll discover that shortly. Look what Shakespeare said about it in a quote on the screen. Life is but a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Is that how you feel about your life? Of course not. We all want to be significant. We all want to have purpose. We all need to know. The result of people thinking like Shakespeare, the result of people thinking that God does not exist, all results in a grasp at life for the moment. All we can get out of life is what I can get today, right now. All we seem to have is frustration and meaninglessness, despair and gloom. But in contrast to that, you and I see life from the biblical world view. Amen. We see it as the way God ordained it and that he wants it. God's majesty is revealed by what he intends to do with man. Verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 5, yet thou hast made him a little lower than God. Thou dost crown him with glory and majesty. Did you know that you have that? Did you know you've been crowned with glory and majesty when the Bible says you were made in the image of God? You were crowned with glory and majesty and you were meant to rule. What's happened What's happened to our world? Things have gone haywire. We were made a little lower than God, it says there, in the image of God. This means that you and I were to portray the image of God in this world. You and I were to be the visible God of the invisible. You and I were to be seen as someone who carried God with us. God in us. That's what God's intent was when he made you and crowned you with majesty and glory. What happened? The fall happened. And since that fall, we have not the majesty and the glory until we come to Jesus Christ. Then, Christ in us, we receive this majesty and this glory again. God made man, God made Adam, crowned him with majesty and glory. And then the fall came. You and I are to be the bearers of God in this world. What a great chasm lies between what the Bible says you are and what the world says that you are. God so loved the world. Why? Because he sees in every 
human being his image. The drunk in the gutter in downtown Oklahoma City has the image of God in him. God loves that man. God loves that woman. God so loved the world because he sees his image in every human being he has made. You say, oh, Brother Clay, that can't be so because there's plenty of people that don't have the image of God. No. All created beings have the image of God. All created human beings. Now, do they surrender to that way of God? No. Do they surrender to the way God wants them to live? No, of course not. But God sees in everyone His image. And He knows why this person was made. And He knows the purpose that they can fulfill. But yet He longs to give it to them. Now it can only be found in Jesus Christ. But it was not intended that way. When God made Adam and Eve, He put His glory and His majesty on Adam. All right? And Adam was to rule. And guess what? It happened. Adam was ruling. Adam named the animals. Adam ruled. And he was in charge. And things obeyed him. But over time, the fall came and he lost that rule. Verse 6. Look at that with me. Thou hast made him to rule over the works of thy hands. Brother Clay's not making this up. I'm showing you what it says in the text right here. God made us to rule, but the fall has prevented that. Not some things, all things, all sheep and oxen, and also the beast of the field, the birds of the heaven, the fish of the sea, whatever passes through the pathways of the sea. This is not you and I forcing Creation to follow us. This is creation being obedient to us. All of you have pets, probably, and you train them to be a certain way. And some of them do it obediently, and some of them fight, but eventually they become trained, and they learn to obey you and your command. This is what God intended from the beginning, that His creation would not have to be forced by your hand to obey you, they just would obey you. Why? Because you had the majesty and the glory and the image of God on you. That's what God intended. Amen? Amen. Okay, so what happened? Things changed and the fall came. Instead of man uh, running the world, now we are ruining the world. Right? We're polluting the air. We are sucking the resources right out of this planet. We are fouling the waters. You and I must face this. The fall of man has fouled us up. The world is not in subjection to us. Right? The world is not obedient to us. Then what is our purpose? Why are we here? So God can restore that. God wants to restore that. God's not going to scrap Adam and Eve and his theory behind them. He's worked from that moment until this day to restore that in you. All right? How do I know that? Let's go to Hebrews. All right? Chapter 2, on the screen, Hebrews chapter 2, verse 8. 
Here's what it says. Uppercase Old Testament, quote, Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. That came right here from our text, amen. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. You see what it's saying? I'm going to let you look at that a minute. God ordained, God purposed that all things in this world would be in subjection to you. You would rule. Things would obey you. Animals would obey you. Things would, you would have the control of natural things in this world. All right? For in subjecting all things to him, little h, man, he, capital H, Jesus, left nothing that is not subject to man. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to man. For something happened, the writer of Hebrews tells us. The fall came, and you and I are not in control. We are not ruling. We were meant to rule. We were ordained, and we were given glory and majesty to rule, but we're not ruling. Instead, now we're ruining. There's a problem. But he goes on in Hebrews chapter 2, the very next verse. He says, but we do not see things subjected to him, verse 9, but we do see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because to the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Here's what that's saying. You and I lost our glory and honor, our majesty. We lost that at the fall. We don't see the world subject to us now, but we do see Jesus. And he came down to die on the cross for us, and God put glory and majesty and honor on him. He already had it as God, but he came to this earth giving up his deity to come and be a man. God in man, man in God, Jesus is unique. Remember, he's 100% man. So I want you to think about this. God gave him that glory and that honor and that majesty when he came to this earth to die on the cross for our sins. Amen? So now let's talk about Jesus while he was here. What did Jesus do while he was here? He did a lot of things, and he performed some miracles, right? He turned water into wine. Now, did he do that as God, or did he do that as man? God put glory, majesty, and honor on Jesus Christ, and he was able to turn water into wine. A natural miracle. Let's go on. Let's think about another event, the fish and the loaves. Jesus took the bread and the fish, and he fed the 5,000. Did he do that as God, or did he do that as man? He didn't do it as God. He did it as man. He didn't change water into wine as God. He changed water into wine as man. Okay? Now, God put this on him, and God understood that you and I were intended to be that way. But we've lost that majesty and that glory and that honor at the fall. And now, God says in Mark chapter 4, 
when the sea and the disciples were in the boat and the sea was rough and they cried out to Jesus to stop it, to do something, and Jesus said, peace be still, and the disciples look at him and they say this, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Now, don't go out of here, church, saying that Brother Clay says you can become God. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is what God intended at the beginning was for man to be given majesty and glory and honor to rule this world. And when Jesus came, he fulfilled all of that as man. Now, we don't see Hebrews 2, 8. We don't see the world subject to us, but we do see the world subject to Jesus who came and died on the cross as a man, God giving him honor and glory and majesty. That's what God wants for you. Now you can have that in a earthly situation by receiving Jesus Christ. You're not going to be able to do miracles. You're not going to be able to perform things like Jesus did. But what's going to happen to you is you will get back the honor of your life, the majesty of your life, and the glory of your life. And now you realize there is purpose for you. Jesus came, fulfilled the purpose that he came to do. You don't know what your purpose is. You don't know why you're here. You don't know the meaning to life. You don't know who you're, where you came from. God wants to show you that. He wants to give that to you. He says there's lots of purpose in your life. There's lots of things I want you to accomplish in your life. But you're only going to find them in Jesus Christ when he moves in and takes residence in your heart. Then the honor and the glory and the majesty that you're looking for will be given to you. And all of a sudden, your life will have meaning and you will find your reason for living today. Only in Jesus Christ. I said it at the beginning, didn't I? The only purpose that we'll ever be satisfied with in life and finding significance is tied to Jesus Christ. Apart from Him, you are meaningless. But with Him, you have the world at your fingertips. Amen? Think of it like that. That's what David found out. That's what God is saying to us today. We can only see this happening when we take Jesus Christ into our life. Jesus crowned with all majesty, glory, and honor. God, what, now what does that mean? You know, when the Bible talks about Jesus being the firstborn of creation, he's not the, well, let me back up and, and give you another text to bolster what I just said to you about you receiving majesty and glory. Jesus said this, Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Jesus said, I can't do these things on my own. The Father abiding in me does them. Okay? You can't do it on your own. 
but the Father abiding in you, then you can do the works that God has ordained for you to do. Amen. Let's move on now. God is building a family. I talked about Jesus being the firstborn of creation, and we go, what does that mean, Jesus being the firstborn? It's not the fact that he was created. It is the fact that he was raised from the dead. He's the first of the family of God as Jesus the man. And in that event, God is now building a family. And he is shaping it, and he is making it, and he is building it from all tongues, tribes, and nations of people on this planet. Amen? Why? Because one day, he's going to reel back the curtain, and he's going to show the world what he's been doing behind the scenes, and that was building you and me into his family, and making us his children, and causing it all to happen on his own. We could call it the great revealing, right? The great revealing. Where does it talk about that in the scripture? Let me show you, okay? It says here in, come on screen, Romans chapter 8. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. What's God doing? He's building a family right now, today. You might be a part of that family now. You might not be. But God wants you to be a part of his family. Why? Because he sees his image in you. He loves you. And he wants you to be all that you were meant to be and all you were created to do. He wants that for you. But you have to make the move to come to Christ. Amen? For the revealing, eventually that will happen. God wants to reveal the, to the world what he's been doing behind the scenes. What is man? What is my purpose? There is purpose if you know Jesus. If you do not know him, there is no purpose for you. There is no reason for you outside of Jesus Christ. There is no life for you. When the curtain is drawn back and God reveals his family to the world, then guess what his family's going to sing? Verse 9. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is thy name in all of the earth. It starts here today with you. You must become a part of that family. God's provided the way. God's shown you the way. He has opened the door for you. He has accomplished salvation for you. But you have to come and receive it. It's a free gift. I love this picture on the screen. Of the two hands, which one's God? Shout it out. Come on. Which one? The one on the right. Why do we know that? Because when you look at the entire picture that da Vinci painted, you see God reaching out of heaven to man. And you see man sitting on his haunches with his hand like that. Oh yeah, big deal. Right? I want you to make it this instead of the other. Reach out and take his hand. Today he'll give you purpose. Today he'll give you meaning. You will realize that your life is full of majesty and honor and glory when Jesus Christ moves into you. 
God intended for that to happen in your life. Won't you make that move today? It can only happen with Jesus Christ. Will you surrender to him right now in this place? Let's pray. Lord, bless your word and let it ring out into the hearts of all people that hear it at this moment. Those watching online, on TV, those seated here today, Father, I pray your wisdom has brought your word to these people. And we know that because of your image in us, there is purpose for us. There is a reason why I'm here. There's things that I can do and enjoy and love and cherish. Father, you teach us through the trials of this world that this world brings pain and suffering and death. But only through Christ can we have life. And I pray you bring that today in this room. Let your spirit move. Let him have his way in the hearts of all these people. And Father, save someone today. Change someone's life. Bring someone home. Restore a child of yours. Cause them to come. Bring them, Father, at this moment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.